Why does Kel Brimbor got like Zaddy? <laughs> I don't even want to say Zaddy energy. I'm like embarrassed. Ugh. He's kind of sexy. I mean, I understand <laughs> what you're saying. He's he's like the friend's dad where you're like, I don't know. And your friends are like, what? You're like, ah, in the right light. And they're like, what the fuck? Mr. Celebrimbor? <laughs> Mr. C? What? That's oh gross. God, no. Co-host Magellan review and discuss the latest and greatest television shows and tell you whether or not they're worth adding to your queue. First of all, welcome, Magellan. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. It's great to have watched the entirety of both the shows we're talking about today. It's true. I'm excited to be back in the land of Middle Earth and the land of Westeros. Wow, he got it before I did. You're learning. I'm pretty proud of that. That's impressive. I was well because my brain was like the Four Kingdoms, Essos. What's the one of the West? Uh, okay, I get it. You you know too much. Yeah, right, I was pulling right, from right, a right, huge, right, right, right. a way bigger Rolodex. When, whereas yours was like, which person with the white hair did the bad thing? Yeah, I have one sticky little sticky note it's all crumpled up, and it says Westeros on it. My, the rest of my brain is empty. <laughs> no, it's Celebrimbor. <laughs> Celebrimbor. 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 We're coming to this with a renewed enthusiasm as both of these fantasy television series with big budgets wrapped up their first seasons. Um, if you haven't listened to part one of this discussion, please go back and listen to it. It is the last Should You Watch in the feed uh, from back in September, I think, or early October. Um, but anyways, we're back. They've finished their seasons. We're not going to do another recap of um, like the overall thing or our histories with these shows, but... I figured I could do a brief recap of where the back half of both of these seasons go. Yeah, why don't we hit these shows one at a time just so people can decide if they don't want to be spoiled on one or the other. Yeah, well, so we started with um, House of Dragon last time, so you want to do Rings of Power this time to mix it up? Yeah, that's the one that's freshest in my mind because I just finished it, and I'm excited to talk about it. Fabulous. If you don't mind, can you tell me about episodes four through eight of Rings of Power? What happens in these episodes? Um. Yeah, so... <laughs> I cruelly said last time that Rings of Power is a great uh, advertisement for the one ring, uh, the one wiki to rule them all. Yeah, and that was a little mean. And also, I still think it holds true throughout the show because it feels like even though we get these like chunky eighty-minute episodes, uh, you can still get a sense of what happens in them just from. The summaries. So, and then the like, the rest of it is like vibe, music, setting, costumes, things like that. Um, but we continue to follow various groups around Middle Earth, and uh, we're on uh, an island uh, for a little while, Numenor as well. There it is. Um, but essentially, the kind of shadow hanging over the entire series is something feels wrong we know as the audience that middle earth is going to be plunged into darkness and sauron's going to return and that's the vibe that we're getting here 
Um, over the course of the season, we learn that there is this uh, special ore called mithril uh, that is being secretly mined by the dwarves, um, by our friend Durin, who uh, Elrond went to go hang out with for a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, we learn that the elves really need mithril to maintain their the well-being of their society. Otherwise, they'll all go bye-bye, disappear. And so there's... Um, some kind of politicking around, okay, there's mithril. Oh, it's dangerous. Okay, well, we need some. Oh, my daddy, my dwarf daddy says no. Fuck your dwarf daddy. I'm your dwarf daddy now. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I was so with you, and now I'm more with you. Um, So there's some stuff like that, and Elrond and Durin kind of go back and forth uh, they're in the mines, they're at the elf place, they're walking around together, they're having conversations about friendship and, you know, society and leadership and stuff. That's all going on. Um, alongside that, we continue to follow Nori, who's a Harfoot um, and has been harboring this stranger called the Stranger, who's got a big beard and seems magical and is probably Gandalf, actually, it turns out. Did you guess? Because uh, that's what we all thought, and it, that might be the case. Um, this, the discovery of the stranger proves to be kind of contentious for Harfoot society. They cast Nori and her family to the back of the um, caravan. They're a nomadic group of of folks, and then. Um, the stranger gets captured by these sorcerers who thinks that the Sauron, we have a big magic fight and that's the whole thing. And there's that plot. And then we've got, um, Galadriel who's spending her time on the Island of Numenor. And she's trying to convince the humans there in Numenor to sail with her to middle earth to go fight the orcs and try to find Sauron and, and fight Sauron. Um, and she has to do some kind of politicking and convincing with them um, with the help of her friend, uh, what's his name? Halmond? Hal, Hal, Halrod? The guy Hal? who turns out to be the guy? Uh, Halbrand. That's his name. Halbrand. Halbrand. Um, and so they eventually sail back to Middle Earth with the help of some humans, uh, some of whom may be the ancestors of uh Aragorn actually by the way wait really? oh i guess that tracks yeah okay yeah the guy and his son the yeah. son is like Aragorn's grandfather great grandfather something like that okay it's a little lore for you i don't know if i spoiled something there but it's lore so who's to say um and then meanwhile in middle earth there's a band of humans who are um making a stand against um and kind of fighting a war of attrition with an orc army being led by one of the first el- oldest orcs whose name is Adar. And uh, Adar is laying siege to this group of humans. Um, he eventually has this conversation with Galadriel where he drops some lore about Sauron and how he killed Sauron. He hates that guy and he loves orcs and orcs are people too. And Galadriel's like, screw you. I hope, I hope you die. Um, and then we arrive towards the end of the series and where we get to is we've been victorious in our battles, um, against the orcs. We've been victorious in showing that the stranger's a good guy, but it turns out that Halbrand, this guy that was with us this whole time 
has been Sauron in disguise and he's been <gasps> using Galadriel to get himself to freedom, to get him close to Celebrimbor, the uh, genius smith, so that he can figure out how to smith mithril into small amounts of mithril into very powerful rings. Huh? Be- very powerful rings. Rings of power, you might say. Um, and Whoa. well, th- isn't that just terrible? Right. And don't you know it? We end the series with having forged three rings for the elf kings, which is the first part of the recitation of what the rings of power are. Um, I think I hit most of the stuff there. Did you mention, by the way, that the battle with Gladriel and the other guy is a Pyrrhic victory because Adar goes on to blow up the Southlands and turn it into Mordor? Um, that is also a thing, right? So, yeah, it's a Pyrrhic victory. Um, the, well, they Adar don't, I don't instigates... think they win. They like nuke it. Adar like nukes the battlefield or something. There's like a huge because he blows up the volcano and in yeah, does up he the volcano, instigate that? He makes the volcano blow up. The orcs definitely instigate that, at least. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they briefly win this battle, and then yeah, the orcs uh, cause the volcano to blow up, and. <laughs> There's a fucking moment where the orcs are like, yeah, Adar, king of the Southlands. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's not the Southlands anymore. And they're like, what do you call it? And I thought for sure he was going to be like Mordor. But instead, they just do it with text on the screen <laughs> where it says Southlands. And then it like erases it. Burns. And writes it burns Mordor. Um, so that's where we're at. We have a Mordor, Sauron's back. We've got Rings of Power. Uh, we're mining Mithril. We know the Balrog's down there, and that's not so good. Things are not looking great uh, yeah. for, our, for our good guys by the end of the season here. I can go first. I want to talk about what, what I felt about this part of the season. Uh, it definitely elevated for me after uh, all of the, con- the the battle scenes with Galadriel and, and the elves and, and whatnot. All that stuff was like pretty fun to me and actually showcased the budget really well. Um, I thought that I, that's where they got their like stunts and effects on point and it felt like not not that we were reaching like uh i'm sorry what's the battle in two towers called that battle uh you can tell we're really big lord of the rings fans here <laughs> uh no 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 that deep. level of like helm's deep yeah not on that like helm's deep level of scale but definitely like oh this is like really cool and probably an important battle and uh and then you know all the stuff with adar and then chasing him what i didn't realize was that the show was building this mystery box and it was a lot more important than I even thought. Like the reveal of, of Sauron takes up so much of the final episode that I, I I found myself going, Oh, is that what the season was supposed to be? That was like the thing that was supposed to be keeping me going was like, who is Sauron? Because like, I already know what Sauron does. He like wins. So Uh why does, why does knowing who becomes him matter textually? And I think that there's something thematically, if you dig a little bit, about like evil can exist within us and how almost in a biblical sense, how easy it was for Sauron to to betray Galadriel because mm-hmm. uh, Halrand even like breaks down the different things that he said and did uh, almost in like a usual suspect sort of way where, uh-huh. you know, she picks him up and he's like. Uh, I'm a bad person. He tells her early on, like, I've done bad things and I'm a bad person. And she just goes, I don't care, whatever, I'll save you anyways. And he, she chooses to save a bad person. Uh, she didn't pick up on the implication that he probably killed the other people on his ship, <laughs> like the, the the rest of the crew of the ship. 
Uh, she misses a lot of hints on purpose because she's noble and wants to believe in the good of people. And she suffers for that. And then it, it, things go poorly because of that. And so uh, it makes the sort of arc of the season feel like we are like barreling towards tragedy, even no matter how hard we try to avoid it. And in trying to avoid yeah. it, we actually accelerate it, it. Yeah. Yeah, I I totally agree with you about the way that that twist doesn't, like it's a really cool twist that the season is not setting you up for. Um, and I, I will say I spoiled it for myself um, because I was looking up like, is the stranger fucking Gandalf? And then there was articles that were like, oh my God, the Sauron reveal. It was Halbrand. And it's like, yeah, I made the mistake of going on the internet when a show was on TV. Right. Um, and it made those episodes way more interesting when I knew that it that he was Sauron because I could watch the process of him tricking people and deceiving them and getting himself into the position where he had access to Celebrimbor, uh, Celebrimbor. Um, <laughs> getting himself in a position where he's being crowned king of the Southlands uh, and everybody's like celebrating him. And so I was able to watch these episodes being like, no, 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 don't, don't yeah. like bow to this guy. That's the bad guy. And that was really cool. So it kind of made me wonder why not tell us, right? Or at least why not tell us that this is something Sauron does, that he like can turn into fake people or something, you know? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, I feel like you're not primed to wonder that or to doubt people. Um, but I think what I really liked about it thematically is to me, Galadriel is the most interesting character in the show. And, Agreed. Uh, yes. I think Elrond ends up being interesting too. Um, I like his relationship with Doran and I like Disa, uh, and the, the three wonderful. of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's like a fun plot to, to follow. Um, but Galadriel is like the core of the show. And I think what's so great about Galadriel's plot is it gets at the heart of um, the power within the mithril, which is like the good and the evil intertwined and like unable to be separated from each other. And like strength of character is about being able to parse those things out and understand what's like motivating you to do certain things. What's... Mm -hmm. What are your goals? You know, are you pure of heart or are you doing things for bad reasons? And it reveals to us that like Galadriel's quest to seek vengeance for her brother um, was like good in the sense that her brother was killed by a bad guy, but she was blind to the bad guy being right next to her because she was embracing some of that evil uh, in the pursuit of of her goal, right? Mm -hmm. Like the way that she tortures Adar and um, stuff like that. There are moments where Galadriel embraces violence and power. Um, and I think it was a really cool, I think some of the best stuff of the season was Sauron in her mind trying to convince her like, well, you've been working with me the whole time. You wanted this. Like, you could be my queen. We could have all this power. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I thought that was that was pretty cool. And to see Galadriel refuse that, I think was uh yeah i think um for her also i i found the reveal interesting in hindsight you know like as he like i said I, when he's explaining it at the end of episode eight i'm like oh you know what yeah. that's really cool um i was disappointed that they spent so much time in that episode though like setting up the stranger because like it felt like such an annoying last mm-hmm. minute red herring because you know that the episode eight sets up like for a lot of it that maybe the stranger is sauron because these mysterious people the creatures Say almost Sauron, yeah yeah they're like you're definitely sauron and we need to pull it out of you and make you do evil stuff and you're like oh fireflies he manipulates fire i guess that's sauron okay i i guess that's really sad because that makes like nori's whole we should trust this person even though they're doing bad things to us uh that makes that all the more tragic but like lord of the rings is about tragedy and it's about sometimes like the the perils of like being a good person the difficulty of being a good person uh, but that's like, you know, fine, that's on brand. And then it's not that. And it's like, okay, well, what is this about? And it is about, it's still about all those things. It's just not in the Nori plot line. And so to that point, I think that the Nori plot, I, I'm somewhat cribbing this opinion from, uh, or this take, I guess, from uh, Alan Sappenwall and his review of the finale, uh, mm-hmm. who argued that the biggest problem with the Rings of Power season one is that by the end of season one, we got to a good show. It took them a whole right. season to go, this is the show we want to make for sure. We right. got, we're chasing Sauron. We know who he is. We've got rings. We're going to make more rings. And we have a traditional Lord of the Rings ass adventure with Nori and the and the stranger. And it's like, right. why, why did it take you eight episodes to get to the show you wanted? Why didn't you just make the show you wanted to make? Right. You know, like what, how much of yeah. this did we need to see? And what was the value in seeing the Southland scratch away to become Mordor? And what was the, like, how mu- how much does a prequel or does an origins? Because mm-hmm. this is actually thousands of years before Lord of the Rings, right? So we're not even building up to like. Is it that long before? IMDb Lord describes it as a show that was set thousands of years before. Okay. Which would explain why the Harfoots aren't the Hobbits. Like they literally have time to genetically, like genealogically evolve. Oh, okay. Then these guys are much older than Aragorn's like great grandpa. But they're probably yeah. the ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yes. So. But like, yeah, it just feels like they got to the show they wanted to make. And it's like, well, the the show getting there was a little was pretty dull for most of it. And I just started to see the interesting parts like gasping for air right there at the end. Like this moment where uh, Nori's like not her father, but the gentleman that's with them dies Mm -hmm. and lets himself die, even though the stranger could probably heal him. He's kind of like, you know, I've wandered enough. I'm old. And I'm like, this is beautiful. This is Lord of the Rings right here. I don't even remember this guy. We got like three episodes with the Hardfoots. If we actually focused on their plot and did things with them, I would love all of them. I'm ready to love these characters. Yeah. And because they were jumping between so many things, it never felt like we had time to like anybody in particular. Uh, so, you know, that that that's kind of like where I, I landed with this season was like, we just got to the show I want. You know, Nori is cresting over that hill and says, it looks doesn't want to look right. back at her people and i'm like oh that's so beautiful and now here comes the show that we wanted and it's like right eight episodes and it, and and so to Seppenwall's point though this is not like normally you would say oh it's first season jitters they're figuring out what they want to be but like uh-huh. how how often can we give that excuse to shows that have millions and millions of dollars right. of marketing Giant, budget huge budgets yeah Right. And like you guys, why does everybody get this? He says in his last paragraph here, uh, there's enough good here to justify making like a hard foot and continuing down a familiar path. 
But Rings of Power isn't a scrappy underdog where it's easy to forgive the growing pains along the way. No one involved is being asked to do more with less. We have to hope that they can right. do even more with more when this behemoth mm. of a franchise returns. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, it definitely felt like we were spending the entire season bridging to like the last couple episodes. And I think I was just giving the Wikipedia page and in some of the production notes, like original, the original concept of the show is, you know, we want to turn the prologue of Lord of the Rings into like 50 hours of television. So when that is the mission statement, you know, is we're going to have this grand sweeping epic this season makes a little more sense in the context of that, but uh, it almost feels like this show is taking for granted because they have so much money because it's Lord of the Rings. They're like, we can slow roll this and you'll stick with us or you'll get back on board next season or something. And it's fine because like we have the resources to afford making a show that isn't like minute to minute catching your attention and controversial and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think it makes for a show that's messy. Uh, I think it makes for a show that's like kind of interesting because there aren't a lot of shows that are doing just like good old fashioned Tolkien fantasy. It's grand. There's good guys and bad guys. Literally (laughs) the, the stranger mm-hmm. is like, I'm good and shoots out beams of light, you know, um, right. it, it really wears its, uh, it's, uh, themes and stuff on its sleeve there. Yeah. Um, so I enjoy that about it. I hope that a second season, uh, like uses our time a little bit better because I felt like there were whole episodes where, I had them on in the background. There were parts that I felt like I was just listening to a podcast and I wasn't missing anything almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it's a beautiful show, like not to discount that, um, but... It's a great show to showcase a 4K TV, for example. Right, right, right. But it's like, what are you looking at? This, it's stunning, and I said this in part one, but I need something. I need some sort of ideas to chew on, some sort of story and... You know, you mentioned that it made you really like get into the wiki and it and it, it I, I brought my books from home. I brought my copies of the trilogy from home. And the next time I'm in the mood for a fantasy book, I'm gonna just start Fellowship of the Ring again because like I like yeah. the I, I, I miss some good classic fantasy and I think that those books hold up well. Yeah. Uh but the show like you can't rely on people sticking with you for three seasons anymore. The TV doesn't like I think TV producers want that all the time. They want you know, an MCU, they want uh, a three season, four season epic, and then they want to cancel it summarily after they get enough revenue. But like, right, you, you got to build me on a good foundation. And and so like, yeah, but you have to don't. imagine if you're a producer who's making a Lord of the Rings show for Amazon, you feel a little bulletproof in that regard, don't you think? Yeah. And I think that the Lord of the Rings fans are going to watch it regardless. Yes, that you, you can you're just going to get those people. But if you want to get new people, then like. Yeah, got to do something. If you want to introduce new people to the franchise, then the best yeah. way to do that is with memorable characters and warm, interesting moments that feel like lived in and, and believable. And yeah. the show just never has that. Even when it gets better, it doesn't have that. It, it has 
spectacle. It has like battle and fantasy and combat and, uh, you know, moments of tragedy, you know, like mm-hmm. when the um, queen of Numenor goes blind in the explosion, it's like, wow, she's like, how do we deal with a blind character? Like they touch on yeah. some of that stuff, but it's just like, there's no heart at the there there is the, the 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 truth is there is heart at the center of the rings of power and it's in the last episode it's in nori and the stranger going away and all of that i think it's in durin and elrond's friendship too and yeah. durin and disa's relationship I, those those ring true for me um i think the places where it's hollow are like who like who are those Southlands people. <laughs> what, yeah. what what were their names? Aaron like? Aaron Deer and Near, Noah. Yeah. And Bronwyn. Yeah. Here's here's my here's something I, I wanted to bring up. Uh at two different social events since our first part, I've had people talk to me about how they like this show. Okay. The first was at a wedding, and this person and her uh partner were like, Oh my god, we're loving the rings of power. And I was mm. like, I like folded my arms and I was like, okay, tell me why. And yeah. they were like, it's really fun and interesting and we like Lord of the Rings a lot. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I don't agree with you that it's, I didn't say this, but I was like, I don't agree that it's fun. There are parts where it's fun. Yeah. But I, I look at the big picture and I don't see this as like, you know, fun. It's light. It's it's entertainment and that's fine. The show can just be entertainment. Right. Uh, I don't think it's interesting at all. I think it gets interesting. <laughs> it, tickles, it, it tickles interesting and then runs away. Uh-huh. Um, but at the end of the day, if you like Lord of the Rings, you like this. If you the Harfoots thing I talked about in part one, like oh, it's so manipulative, but it works. Yeah, people want to see Hobbits again. That's it's been twenty Ooh. years almost yeah. since those movies. I get it. And then the second one was um at this party I was just telling John about pre pod, and the person who was saying they liked it there was like, I they said I'm really intimately aware that this show, this production company. Uh, was given like extremely strict rules about what they're allowed to to do with the license, and so no wonder that they like dug into a prologue because they can't do too much more. That's like in canon universe Lord of the Rings stuff because the Tolkien estate is like very very guarded with what kind of story you can tell uh, these days with the medium with with the with the license. I mean, so like he is saying, oh. In understanding that, I still think it's really interesting and worth watching, but I, I get why some people are not interested in that. Like, kind of interested in the, ex- in the experiment of it, of, like, what does a Lord of the Rings show look like in 2022 yeah. with all the restrictions of the Tolkien estate? Well, it's it's Rings of Power. They did their best, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I got. Yeah. Overall, you know, I think it's a show that... Uh, Definitely is not getting <coughs> it's not getting bang for its buck, let's put it that way. But it was intriguing, I think, by mm-hmm. the end of it. Uh Kellebrimbor is probably the most interesting character. Uh, which I say partly jokingly, but also partly it's what I'm looking forward to in a season two is watching the ways in which you see different characters become corrupted by Right the evil influence which is like part of what's really uh the drama of lord of the rings the the you know the main books and the movies is like you're following this this little guy frodo and watching him descend into corruption over the course of the story um 
And like at the heart of Lord of the Rings is this very human tale about how friends can help you stay true to yourself and true to what's meaningful for you. Right. Um, and like there's whispers of that here in this show, but it's not fully there. And I hope that they find some of those sorts of stories uh, in season two, because that's really what this phase of the lore is all about is like, how do we get from, well, Sauron's dead to like, oh, fuck. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You want to talk about House of the Dragon? I do. All right, so you tell me what happened in the back half of this show. You got it, King. So you know how we talked about how uh, the Rings of Power... I shouldn't click my tongue on a podcast. That probably sounds annoying. Sorry. <laughs> I like doing it though. Uh, Rings of Power finds its footing in the end of the in the end of the season, and then you're like, "Oh wait, that was a good show. Oh, it's over now." And then you're like, "Okay, I hope season two is good." Uh, I think House of the Dragon was good to start, and kind of like hit a steady valley, and then like almost started to dip in quality and in excitement right before a really stellar ending. Uh, but I definitely liked it overall more. I continue to feel that take. Um, so in this uh, in this half of the season, we jump forward 10 years, and Rhaenyra has given birth to three sons, Jaceris, a.k.a. Jace, Lucerus, a.k.a. Luke, and Joffrey. Uh, the problem is that these kids all lack the iconic Targaryen slash Valerian uh, silver hair. And so uh, Alicent is like, is that, is Leonard their dad? And there's a lot of um, arguing between the High Towers and the Targaryens about the parentage of Rhaenyra's children, uh, we, the viewer, know that she had at least those uh, two, if not three, of those kids with uh, Sir Harwin Strong, um, who is uh, killed by his younger son, who is manipulating um, Alicent because he uh, is a creep and also a fetishist, and we're going to have to talk about him. And uh, meanwhile, the conflict between the High Towers and the Targaryens is boiling because of claims to legitimacy uh, and to slights done to each other's children. As we jump another six years in episode eight, uh, Corlys Valerion is no longer with us. He may or may not be dead. We learn later he's fine. Uh, Sir Otto comes back because of uh, the guy who is... Uh, the the manipulator guy that I talked about earlier. There's so many freaking names, dude. Even I don't remember. And I'm like the names guy, and I don't know all the names. But Otto comes back. He's the hand of the king again. He's manipulating people. He's even still manipulating his daughter uh, to push the Targaryens off of the throne as quickly as possible. Um, meanwhile, her husband, uh, Viserys, is on his deathbed. He has lost an arm. He's aging rapidly. And in his dying breath, he tells her, about the Aegon the Conqueror's dream, referring to Aegon, his great ancestor. But she believes that it's referring to her younger son, Aegon, and that he will become the king, even though, as we learn, when he becomes an adult, young Aegon is a rapist, a um, horrible, horrible murderer, a creep, a nasty garbage boy uh, who should be put to the gallows immediately and is instead crowned king as Lady Ra uh, Princess Rhaenys, who's ref refusing to support him, uh finds the beast beneath the boards as one of the um, high tower children prophesizes and uh, unleashes her dragon during his coronation ceremony, killing hundreds of people and escaping to warn the Targaryens, Rhaenyra and Daemon who have now uh, begun a sort of forbidden 
incestuous marriage uh, that, hey, the high towers are out for you guys. They're trying to install another guy as king. Uh, meanwhile, back in Targaryen town, they install Rhaenyra as queen, and uh, we built a conflict as uh, Luke, her son, is killed horribly and tragically when trying to escape from uh, Prince Aemon's uh, dragon, who is the biggest dragon of all time because when they were kids, uh, he stole it from somebody else and got his and lost an eye for it. Uh, so with Luke dead, Rhaenyra is on the warpath and uh, sets out to begin war between the Blacks and the Greens, the Targaryens and the Hightowers, as we conclude season one of House of the Dragon. Woo! That was hard. That was entirely from memory, y'all. <laughs> you, you did an amazing job. Thanks, that man. That was great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree with your assessment of the second half of the season here. It felt like a lot of the fuel for this show was like, what? And after <laughs> like seven episodes of, huh? You're kind of like, oh, okay, they're doing oh. another thing. Got it. Okay. Um, okay, I guess Rainier is married to her uncle now. They had sex on the beach when uh, they killed her husband together. Got it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, like it kind of just gets to the point where you're like it's numb like, to it. Yeah, you're numb to it. And you're like, why? Why? Why is this? Why? What? What is the show about? You know? Mm-hmm. And that's what I was sort of left with at the end of the season is I think it's a really compelling story. It makes for great water cooler talk. Well, it makes for okay water cooler talk because I was at the printer the other day and talking to a teacher who I know watches House of the Dragon. I was like, I just finished it. And she was like, whoo that show you know like that was the conversation right um there's not much to say beyond like whoo yeah right (laughs) right (laughs) and it's it's again it remains an incredibly entertaining show because it feels like they're the like game of thrones solved this Mm -hmm. they figured out like how do you make a show like this that's like this off-putting at times, but this like fantastical somehow like the most widely watched thing. Um, and it, they're just running those plays from, from what worked best in game of Thrones. So it's, it's functioning and it's entertaining, but I just don't, I just don't know what it's about at the end yeah. of the day, you yeah. know, because like, I'm I'm trying to think about like, what's the, the takeaway here and part of the story is like, you know, it's real tough being born into royalty. God, it sucks. <laughs> God, it must be hard. <laughs> God, it makes, you know, these poor boys, they just wanted to live out their boyhood and not do this. Um, and that's not a great story. And then it sometimes tries to do stuff where it's like, you know, Rhaenyra is like deserves to be queen a woman deserves to have the crown and like Rhaenys is talking to Alicent about like have you ever dreamed for more of your for yourself and Alicent has lived her whole life shaped by her father and and uh Viserys and her sons and uh you know they they do things like that and you're kind of like well that's interesting but also I, I don't, I'm not really a fan of like 
kings or queens. Uh-huh. I don't really want anybody in this in this job. Um, they do interesting stuff, I think, with childbirth as this kind of recurring like narrative anchor. The show starts with uh, Viserys deciding that his wife uh, should die in childbirth for the chance to bear a son. The jump forward is anchored by Rhaenyra giving birth to a third child, and we get that widely discussed long tracking shot of her walking from the birthing chamber to talk to Alicent, um, which I think was great, by the way. Uh, there was some mm-hmm. discourse about it. is this good or not. Oh, and then we end the, the the long tracking shot that starts the oh the pregnancy in episode five episode six or six uh, rather yeah mm-hmm. um where she gives birth and then she walks all the way to the queen's chamber oh I liked it it's 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 like flashy it it's the kind of tracking shot where they're like look tracking shot and it's like okay that's fine but it works because you're supposed to be like in Rhaenyra's position annoyed right. and confused anyways right. Um, And then the show ends with another um, birthing scene that ends up being a stillbirth. And uh, I have mixed feelings about a stillbirth being this sort of like omen of its wartime. Like that feels not so great. But I think that the scene does a good job of rendering the like kind of traumatic feeling of that happening to Rhaenyra um and I think overall the show you know there are other things that the kind of rawness of it I'm like not so cool with like my whatever all the sex stuff and all that all that shit I'm whatever I think they'd do it for shock value I think the childbirth stuff is like the rare thing that I think works for me being as raw as it is um even though other places where they try to do this like kind of gendered story it feels a little uh girl bossy for lack of a better word yeah i don't know um i agree so i have mixed feelings about it i think they do it really well in some places and it's really weird in in other spots and that's like the best I could come up with for like what this show is about, you know? Um, yeah. Well, I agree. I think that the show that that's like the, the weird tragedy of like rings of power, not starting so good, but getting somewhere is at least it felt like it's building towards something. Whereas like, I definitely enjoyed the moment to moment of house of the dragon more, but it felt like I don't know if I need much more. Like, it's just going to keep going. It feels inevitable that it's going to, it's not yeah, like it's yeah. building towards a conclusion that we all know other than like there's not going to be as many dragons at the end of this war because that's why it's called the dance of dragons right and Uh like we know what the conflict ends with but it's not like there are five or six chess pieces that we have to get to it's like no just characters are going to keep fucking each other over and the easiest solution is always to murder someone and we learn how to hide a body and we learn how to hide incest and we learn how to hide uh you know everything it's, mm. it's, it, these are people who are really good at lying and, sne- and cheating and stealing. Yeah. And it's your enjoyment of the show varies depending on how much you enjoy that. I find it to be a really fun soap opera, but also I finished it and I was like, yeah, that's exactly like you're saying. Like, I don't 
I'm not like I'm not rushing out to read any books. I'm not rushing to uh like listen to the podcast much longer than this. Uh yeah. I will tune in next year when it comes out because it's kind it's been I, I want that water cooler show. Uh mm-hmm. and it kind of got there when I was like watching the last couple with my roommate. It was like, oh, we talk about the episodes, but like the only thing that generated discussion for us was the moment at the end of episode nine when Princess Rainey's mm-hmm. uh you know, it breaks the dragon out. Really exciting moment. You know, it's the, the big set piece. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't, she literally has her dragon stand eye to eye with the high towers. These people and this family, the heads of this family who have taken everything from her family. And she yeah. chooses not to have them killed. And mm. we were like, okay, that's something. They finally gave us something to think about at least. Why didn't she yeah. do it? Because right. like, then you have a discussion on your hands. Then you have, well, on one hand, you end a war, you save millions of lives. But on the other hand, you basically guarantee that they're going to come for your family. Everybody left in that high tower family is going to come for, you know, uh-huh. the and her grandchildren are in King's Landing. So they would probably die in like five minutes. Yeah. Uh, does she want to risk that? And also, is she playing a long game? Does she want to go back to Rhaenyra so that this conflict can it, like, you know, encompass more people? You know, what's her whole motivation? Because yeah. when Rhaenyra is crowned later, she doesn't bow and she doesn't bend the knee. So like that was mm. something. But the rest of it is like, yeah, she's going to, Rhaenyra's going to get with Damon. Yep, because that sucks. Oh, that really does suck, though. Yeah, uh, I I do think the Rhaenys character, it's cool that they frame the show with her story at the beginning. And then that's meant to be this kind of thing that should be in the back of your mind throughout of what does it mean for a society to accept a woman as mm-hmm. a leader um, or in a position of power? And to me, I think that moment of her deciding not to burn them alive is her saying, well, like, I need to live in a society where people legitimately accept a woman as the heir to the throne coronated as the queen, Mm -hmm. not like I burn them alive and force them to accept it, Um, which is an interesting, like, set of considerations for her. Um. You mentioned the stuff with with Damon and like I feel like they really let's see where they go with it, I guess, in season two. But the Damon Rhaenyra relationship needs to be unraveled a little more and explored because uh, it's really, really awful and abusive and i feel like mm-hmm. the show is just kind of put flopping that there in front of us and not you know picking it apart they start to maybe a bit in the last episode um yeah but with I him being like I, rob i did he said i did this to go to war and she's like well, i did this to unite a kingdom right um, and him like running the show and she's the queen and assuming that he's in charge and how he like grabs her and you know they, they yeah. start to comment on it by the end there um but it feels i would like a little more from them in that regard i think i i agree yeah it's it's one of the things that the show gets goes by so fast like when they had their wedding and it was like wow that's really cool why is this happening uh-huh. what besides it's like a it's it's i'm i'm gonna stay with the person i can trust the most and everybody else is out to screw me but like Dog, he's out to screw you. And yeah. I'm not here to make the queer... Like, the show makes the 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 queer relationship between Alicent and Rhaenyra, 
like abundantly more and more clear not to like the point that i would have liked that they finally say something about it but like Mm -hmm. i like the scenes of the two of them talking to each other more than anything else and Mm -hmm. ultimately like my pitch at that same party when i was pitching house of the dragon to someone was like i was saying oh you pitch it differently to depending on who you're talking to because some people Mm -hmm. you're gonna say oh it's like game of thrones but it's a lot simpler and they're not getting into crazy lore stuff and it's just like the straightforward good politicking of game of thrones But to Mm -hmm. other people, I pitch it as two lesbians who are torn apart by the patriarchy. And, like, legitimately, there's a story to be told there about the way that, like, Rhaenyra and Alicent do sincerely love each other and, like, Mm -hmm. want and want to make this relationship work and want to make their families get along with each other. And they're both being yanked apart by different men. And, like, the, the sadness of that is inherent and in text, like, something that they're worried about. But that's a thing for season two if if they're going to continue that and knowing the yeah. source material it can't really go anywhere because nobody makes it like hardly anyone makes it out of this <laughs> so i don't right. know I, I i think the truth and, too is that sorry just olivia cook and emma darcy have incredible chemistry there's a reason that tiktok do. has been blowing up the yeah. you know the negroni recipe it, <laughs> they, they like each other they're, they're really good together that's all i want to say yeah um yeah and i i think um what you're saying about them having this relationship the show like what you're reading that into the show i think a bit and i really like it and want that to be what the show is about and the show just like doesn't do it enough uh especially as we're here in the later years and they're like around each other less and less often or they're always around each other with other people around they're like obsessing over what the other person is thinking or doing but we don't get very many moments of intimacy between the two of them the the one moment that i can think of that i really loved when viserys has this day of lucidity and he doesn't take the uh the, the poppy milk of the poppy yeah as he has been prescribed by his maesters. And he's like, I want everyone to come to dinner and say that they love each other. And then some people do, and it's awesome. And Rhaenyra and Allison have very genuine moments of like, I, you know what? I really like you. You're cool. I don't want to fight anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And I like that. And I wish the show just like had the guts to make that a more central thing that it's exploring you know and it's 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 just it's them watching their families tear each other apart too like they are both being manipulated and not directly doing much of this work Mm -hmm. the kids then after that dinner that's where you get the the eye scene the guy one of the kids taking the other kid's eye out because like we're mad at each other you see you're a bastard he says to him and like all that and so it's them watching like oh no our kids hate each other too and it's like Guys, work to build a better world. Stop escalating this war and learn to de-escalate is like all I want to tell these these characters. Yeah. But they can't. They're literally like they do not have the framework for de-escalation. Yeah. And I think that's where there's like an interesting tragedy at the center of House of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. It, but uh, yeah, and, like you and were I saying, think, I, what I'm reading in there is not front and center of the show. And it should be, I think. Um, uh, I also, in relation to that dinner scene it's aimed that like turns it all south and i think part of what's fascinating and tragic about allison specifically is watching her sons grow up to be men 
in this world of men um and like Amond being this bitter vengeful guy who's like taunting people and jabbing at them and wanting to fight and kill them looking and like a bloodborne said, character <laughs> right someone's freaking oc uh in the show it's awesome <laughs> when he when he became like tall and had his cool eye patch it's like Hell yeah. it's cold it's the duster for me that i'm this like bro awesome yeah. yeah um and then Aegon, like you were saying just the worst guy and that scene where alicent has to comfort the the woman that Aegon raped and yeah. also convince her to keep it quiet. I was oh. oh, oh, yeesh, what a scene. God, this is tough to watch. And mm-hmm. obviously, like, really hard for Alicent. And also, Alicent is, like, part of the problem, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was handled, you know, pretty pretty well in that in that regard. My last big question about House of the Dragon for you. Yeah. Who's the worst person in this show? <sighs> the worst person? Yeah, and I mean that in the subjective sense. Like who is the morality your morality compass? Who is the worst person? Damon. Wow. Why? Um he murders his wife. He sexually manipulates and abuses and uh essentially grooms his niece um to be a kind of like backup door to power for himself he um manipulates his brother uh on his deathbed to try to garner a little more power like he just uses people at every turn pretty relentlessly regardless of age ability innocence um he's a he's a bad guy mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i like, guess i want to see more of him but i agree that he's he's one of the ones who does the most actively harmful things yeah like at, at least someone like Otto hightower is like scheming but you uh, to some extent, it feels like he believes what he's saying, that he's trying to make the society more stable. And also, he just happens to think that he's a pretty stable guy. And isn't that convenient? Um, so, like, someone like him, he's in the, the scheming and stuff. But I wouldn't say that he's, like, one of the worst. Who Who's your candidate for worst? Uh, What's his prob- face? Laris. Guy. Yeah. Well, Laris, uh, I wanted to talk about it briefly. My initial answer was going to be Otto because he chooses to make the realm less stable. He sees mm. stability and says, I instead opt for myself to take over. Like the moment yeah. with the, it, like compare him to somebody like uh, uh, the guy, just, I'm Owen 2, by the way, for clicking my tongue. Uh, <laughs> the fucking Valerian guy who sees his wife after years and it's like, I am so sorry I involved you in all of this conflict. We need to get yeah. the fuck out. That is the only good, truly good person. Him and the old guy Corliss in the council. Great. Corliss yeah. Valerian. But then also the old guy who gets his head smashed against the ball by fucking Kristen Cole, the worst. Uh, the old That old guy is like, you know that we're like doing a bad thing here, right? We're like breaking right, the rules right, of right. succession and this is bullshit. And they're like, yeah, we agree. Also, fuck you. We're doing it. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Yeah, that scene where they're just like, okay, let's take out the plan where we've been secretly plotting to make Aegon the king. Uh, Everybody turns to page like, five. Allison was like, what the fuck? The are plan? You talking what? About? That was pretty wild. Um, I think Laris is an easy answer because he doesn't have anything redeeming about him, but mm. um, it brings me to my last two things about, like, uh, I don't want to say just queer representation, but representation of different types of people because he's a disabled character. And there is, mm. like, harmful tropes associated with disability in fiction. Um, yeah. And also there are tropes, harmful tropes associated with kink in fiction. Yeah, so is that what was happening there? Yes, yes, 100% yes. And I'm not reading into it because when she does it at the end, he starts jacking off under his fucking robes. Okay. There's a scene we're referring to, folks. Sorry if this, I'm going to be a little untoward here. Uh, Laris is basically telling Allison, like, hey, I've, I killed my dad and my brother for you. I burned down the house that they were in so that your dad could be hand. You probably owe me another favor. And we realize that they've been having these conversations a lot. And, you know, her dad is like, hey, Laris, you've been having a lot of conversations with my daughter. And Laris is like, well, at least they're all going well for her. So who, why do you care? I'm doing good things for her. But mm-hmm. meanwhile, these meetings also involve him asking her to show off her feet uh, and put them on the table while he masturbates under his cloak because he has a foot fetish. And it's like, (sighs) I am not equipped and we don't have enough time in this podcast for me to talk about the role of fetishes in television and in media in the way that like the idea of having a fetish like this is portrayed as like disgusting or beneath other people. Uh, Because Uh like also there has been discourse about like, hey, do people like Game of Thrones because we actually secretly all have incest fetishes? It's like, oh God, I can't, I can't, I don't have time. I got to go to church. <laughs> I got to run to church. But um, that's why I don't like saying that Laris is the worst person on the show is because like he's somebody who wants something really badly like everybody else does. It just happens to be that he is the disabled character with the, with the foot fetish. And mm. that doesn't make him worse than anyone else. Uh, he's right. ruthless, but it doesn't, he didn't like explicitly do something worse. Uh yeah 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 it's it's tough because you know it seems that they're trying to do a thing there of um like the position that it's putting Allison in and the way that he is um like exerting sexual power over her um and I think that's structurally what they're trying to explore but then using the foot fetish thing as like you're saying shorthand for this guy's gross, which yeah do- is doesn't feel. But they're doing they're doing Littlefinger again, right? Guy with cane mm-hmm. lies to people mm-hmm. and is, is sneaky. Like, yeah. or I guess no, I don't think that's another. Oh, maybe he did at one point. Regardless, he's doing the Littlefinger thing, and it just it's like guys, I watched the show. I know how you handle this. It's not particularly yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think that the worst person might be. That's the thing is everybody's compromised in some way. Mm-hmm. The worst person is the wig designer on House of the Dragon. There it is. <laughs> I found it. People ask us to so talk you... about the wigs. People ask us to talk about the wigs. Mm-hmm. I can I. I mean, yes. they're not great. <laughs> they no. look not great. I don't really. Do you have more to say about wigs than that? I think that they're they made a choice to make the Valerians uh, primarily be played by black actors, 
which is yeah. something that Martin had considered for the characters, but in the books they're described as pale skin, so like they wanted to diversify the show because Game of Thrones is very white. Yeah. Uh, I think that their use of dreadlocks, I've I've been told and I've read from people like from black people online that like these aren't uh-huh. great dreads. This is like poorly done. Why would they have such bad, badly done dreads? I that's my thought on those wigs. Um, sure. But there are wigs everywhere, like to the point where you stop thinking about it. And like some of the ba- a lot mm. of the bad wigs are just like Sir Lainor in his like awkward wig that looks doesn't even look real. Or Lena and his daughter, like mm. the young girls and like their wigs don't look fantastic. Um, yeah. But the, the wigs improve over the course of the show. And I think that the um, like Targaryens in particular, like, yeah, we said this in part one, but white wigs are going to look weird and unnatural. And I know that that's right. not what Matt Smith's hair is, but uh I don't know. We're not. I'm not well equipped enough to talk about that either. <laughs> yeah. Um, I. The last thing I'll say about the Valerians is, it. I don't know how I felt about like their blackness being a part of the plot. You know what I mean? In the way that it was of yeah. everybody. Well, because you were saying that the. Everybody's saying like, oh, those are strong kids because they don't have the white hair. Yeah. But like, <laughs> you know, as a person watching the show, you're they're not laying looking... as kids because they're white. Right. And I, I just don't know how I felt about that. I guess it's there's nothing wrong with. I don't know. I don't know. Feels weird. (laughs) I agree. If you're going to do that, then do it. Like, say that too. And they never talk about it. Just like we talked about the the problem with the queer representation in part one. And the way that they try to redeem that is they rewrite Lenor's ending. And instead of him just like quietly dying and being forgotten about, they let him be free and move out and like reset his identity. And that's Mm. supposed to feel like a big win. Like we let the gay guy live his own life isolated from his family and and finances like that's not a win guys that's actually like really sad too it's not like a beautiful like you didn't write in a a queer victory or anything so i don't give the show credit for things like that or for the like you're saying the the way that the valerians are like almost like black but not black coated if that makes sense yeah yeah i think that's what my issue is is like they're characters who it feels like it was a casting choice to just say like, yeah, we want to have more actors of, of color in the show. Okay, cool. And also this plot, a crucial detail is that they're visually like distinct from other characters that we can say, are those your kids? And that's where I'm like, well, hold on. Yeah, hold on a sec. <laughs> that just feels that it just feels like a strange thing to me. Um, and I don't know what the resolution to that is. Uh, and maybe like you're saying the intent was the like silver hair part of it. Um, but yeah, it just, it felt a little odd. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No idea. What, what of that they'll handle in season two, if at all. Right. If, if, yeah, if any of it. Yeah. Uh, should you watch these shows? Uh, so I think Rings of Power is worth, 
if you like the sort of like, ah, we know it's a fighting a thing, and I'm like, boom, I got a big blast, I'm a good guy, and you got a bunch of dishes to do, um, then give Rings of Power a shot, and maybe read, like, I spoiled a little of the lore for myself, and it made the show better, because I'm like, oh, shit, this is freaking Aragorn's guy that he descends from, mm-hmm. oh, my God, Numenor's gonna, something's gonna happen there. Whoa, that's Celebrimbor. He's gonna make the rings. I know yeah, that, right. and that like was more fun for me than just treating it as like a narrative where I didn't know where it was in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for Rings of Power, it's like it's entertaining. Or sorry, uh, for House of the Dragon, <laughs> it's like awesome. it's entertaining. It's gonna catch your attention and do things where you're like whoa um and i think if you liked the first couple episodes it doesn't really deviate tonally from those episodes very much at all i would say um it kind of hits like you were saying a plateau of tone and quality by like mid-season agreed and i think like i listened to all of the house of the dragon official podcast as an Uh example of like what does podcast marketing look like you know because you know, yeah. that, that's something I'm like intimately interested in. And also I wanted to see what they liked about the show, because naturally when you're on an official podcast, you're going to you're mostly if if not only going to gush about the things that you like and kind of talk over the things that you didn't like. And they, you know, they found a little bit more meat on every episode's bones, but they also had the benefit of like we got to talk to the writers and one of them was like a book reader. And so they like were able to bring an hour or like 45 minutes of discussion out of every single episode. And like, I think you could do that, but if, if you have people that are recommending the show to you and you're like, Oh, I want to talk about it with people or I want to understand what it's about. Then yeah, check out house of the dragon. If you like game of Thrones, then it's, it's like, it feels like early to mid season game of mid series game of Thrones. But with rings of power, I think if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, yes, absolutely. The show is going to get you there where you want to be eventually. You should watch it. If you're not a Lord of the Rings fan, I don't know. It depends on your standards. Maybe watch a couple episodes and get a feel for the vibe. If it's too slow for you, then drop out. Otherwise, you might like it. You might have simple fun with it. It's not too complicated. Wild. Can you imagine this a month ago that we would be recommending them like this? (laughs) There you have it. Um, So thank you folks for listening to this episode of Should You Watch. We wanted to, I don't think we've mentioned this before, announce a shift that we're making to Should You Watch and how it's going to work. Yeah. Um, We were feeling, so we originally were trying the show out this year to see if the format made sense for us, if we liked it. So we were doing an episode every month in addition to what we were already doing. Um, this episode, we shifted it to a Sunday slot so that it would replace a main feed episode. But uh, we just have been feeling like watching a season of TV in a month on top of other stuff doesn't feel sustainable for us. And also the idea of interrupting the main feed every single month. Uh, we were also not sure how we felt about that. So we've decided we're going to move Should You Watch to a schedule that's similar to uh, Trek Chats. So every three months we'll do a Should You Watch episode 
for you, uh, the way that we do Trek chats. And those will be offset. So next month in December will be just a full month of normal Chats 8 episodes. You'll get Trek chats to start off January. And then our next Should You Watch episode will be uh, the first Sunday of February. Um, so between now and then, if there are shows that are coming out uh, or that are releasing new seasons in the next couple months that you want us to watch and to discuss, let us know. Um, and we'd be happy to to cover it. But that's the shift that we're making to the to the Should You Watch schedule, just so it's more sustainable for us because we like it. We want it to be a, a longer lasting part of our our content. Um, we want to make sure that we're actually able to to do it. Yeah, I mean, like we uh, we've been doing this for so many years now. This podcasting thing, and Mudjal and I both really love it. it. It means a lot to us, and we have no plans of stopping it. But you know, should you watch came out as a way to talk about shows that people are actively discussing, and there will always be more of those. But there will not always be more time. We have weeks, months where we travel, where we are dealing with. You know, I just moved recently, and like we need the 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 birth sort of to get to have that time and not worry about like deadlines and stuff because even now it's like the week i moved all i did was watch star trek because we were backed up for trek chats like we're still doing it it's not like we're suddenly free of all of our obligations we still want to provide fun and interesting content for you guys but like at the very least moving should you watch to an every third month schedule means one uh the episodes you get will be stronger and two we'll have more to say about the shows that we do discuss because it's like, oh, we had time to sit on them and chew on them and maybe think more. So uh, it won't just be like we're farming out should you watches every month like we have been, which has been really fun. But again, it's like, let's just give ourselves a little breathing room. Um, and I can also tell people, John, for this feed, if they're listening on the chats feed, that um, yeah. since this is replacing, this I replaced chats eight this week, I can say that next week we're returning to our coverage of Sense8, if you don't know, Chats, a television podcast, is our TV book club podcast where every week we watch and discuss two episodes of a cult classic TV show, and we're watching the Netflix series Sense8. So next week on Chats8, we're watching season one, episode five, Art is Like Religion. The Sense8 struggle with intensifying connections, which results in some interesting days on set for Leto and a wedding day surprise for Kala. We're also watching season one, episode six, Demons, which I feel like is one of the most common names for an episode of TV. Uh, yeah. while, while the sensei's bond, Nomi takes a bold move to gain her freedom, and Sun makes a choice that she might someday regret. Fabulous. That's what we got. That's my thoughts on the matter. Magellan, Lovely. Anything else you want to tell the kids? No. Uh, oh. Well, lots of stuff, actually. Go, tell me. <laughs> start telling the kids stuff. Um, cool. So Alan, where can we find you or listen to you on a different show? Uh, right now my new weekly gig or returning weekly gig is called Oops More Anime, like Oops All Berries. Um, it's a spinoff of Oops All Anime, which is a podcast on scanlinemedia.com. And with Oops More Anime, my friend Six and I, uh, watch and discuss an episode of anime every week, uh, because we, it doesn't fit into their usual schedule. And I occasionally watch anime. Um, so we're covering the new Mobile Suit Gundam series, The Witch from Mercury. Uh, and we're doing that every week over on Oops More Anime. We also have The Hunter's Quorum, which is currently on hiatus. That's a Monster Hunter slash Pokemon discussion podcast. And uh, every other month I uh, manage and release episodes of Talking Marketing, 
which is a, an American Marketing Association of Boston's podcast where we interview and uh, chat with marketing professionals about their craft. So um, that's where I can be found. What about you, Magellan? You can find me on a video game podcast called Super Smash Echoes, where myself and my friend Justin play video games that are related to the Super Smash Brothers franchise. It's a fun time. Super Smash Echoes. Uh, I can do the plugs for chats. That sound good to you? That sounds good to me. Great. So if you want to get in touch with the show, you have a few options. You can email us at chatspod.gbum.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash chatspod. And uh, those are places where you can let us know your questions, comments, your feedback. You can join us on an episode of Sense8 if you would like, if there's a favorite of yours or one that's just been sticking in your craw for a while, one that's been on your mind and, and you want to chat about. Just let us know. We'll schedule you. We'd love to have you. Um, you can also join communities of fellow listeners talking about the show either on reddit.com slash r slash chatspod or on our Discord, which is a benefit for our patrons. Uh, at a dollar a month and up, you get access to the Discord. Uh, this is, by the way, over at patreon.com slash chatspod. At $3 and up, you get access to twice-monthly bonus content. You heard in the month of October some very scary pilot chatses. And uh, in November, we got some some other stuff planned for you that you're going to love and enjoy, I think. Um, and then at $5 a month, you get thanked right here at the end of our main feed episodes. Our $5 patrons are as follows. Arthur, Jen, Justin, Kat, Lee, my mom, Marcus, Michael, Nick and Pat of the Brothers of Infinite War, Six, and Stefan. Thank you for your support. You can also find our website at chatspot.com, support at Camillustrator, who created our podcast art. You can rate and review us on wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can listen to our chatsums, which are our recommendations for things to snack on between now and next time. Alan. Yes, sir. Do you have a chatsum for the folks? Uh, I do, actually. Um, let me make sure I haven't chatsumed this before really quick. I haven't. Great. Uh, Y'all ever heard of the 3DS? (laughs) That's right, folks. I'm back on my bullshit uh, because uh, sometimes I just want to not look at work and I want to sit on my bed. And I was like, do I have any portal games I haven't played in a while? And uh, I was playing Super Smash Bros. with my roommate recently. And I was like, oh, man, did I ever play that, uh, that Kid Icarus game? And so I picked up Kid Icarus Uprising on the 3DS. And first of all, pour one out for the 3DS eShop. Gone before its time. I mean, it was here for like a decade, but I still am sad that you can't, the eShop is gone. Uh, or you can't put money into it, which is the saddest thing. The eShop is still available. You just cannot add money to buy anything anymore, which sucks. Um, but Kinnegar's Uprising, it's a third-person action game on the 3DS. It's a really fun and funny and well-written game uh, from a lot of the creators of Super Smash Bros. actually. And it's the game where they got a lot of the lore and text for kid uh for pit and palutena in smash so um i don't know if you're gonna cover this one for when you get to pit for uh super smash echoes but if you do majan you're in for a really fun treat because it's a delightful game if you can get past the sort of weirdness of controlling the camera with a stylus and moving the character with buttons at the same time um so i'm here to chat some kid Kid icarus uprising a game from 2012 i believe uh, uh on the 3ds it's it holds up if they ever put out a switch port, it's done. It's Dunion Rings, dude. I'm, I'm getting Dun- that immediately. Dunion Rings. What about you? What do you got? 
Uh, my chat stream is applesauce. <laughs> my girlfriend Amanda and I have been uh, meal prepping on Sundays, and we go to Trader Joe's. And one of the things we do every week right now is we get apples, and you just have to core them, cut them up, throw them in the Instant Pot, a little water, a little cinnamon. You pressure cook it, open it up. Baby, you got some applesauce in there. And woo, that stuff is nice. Oh, it's a little tart. It's so smooth. It's just right. Make your own applesauce. Mm. It's easier than you think. And boy, is it tasty. Can I do it if I don't have an Instant Pot? I kind of want to do this. I have apples. I don't know. I've only ever done it in the Instant Pot. I'm sure you probably can. I just don't. You'd have to look it up. Lemon, brown sugar, cinnamon. Ooh, I have nutmeg. I have allspice. Oh, these are things I have that are I could add mm. to it. I'll play around. The fun thing about cooking is that you can like see a recipe and go, mm, not that, and like get a little <laughs> nasty with it. I might try and do that. All right. Okay. <laughs> That's what we yeah, have, folks. You Thank go. you, Magellan, for being the Allison Hightower to my Rhaenyra Targaryen. Lost, long lost lovers. Separated wow. at birth. Thank you. <laughs> Yes, you're very welcome. And thank you all for listening to Should You Watch, where you should be watching.